I want us to, in our minds, as we go through uh, Philemon, I want us to keep that in mind. Beautiful. Beautiful. I want you to notice um, first Philemon's beautiful family. His beautiful family. Notice in the opening verses here, Paul addressing him, verse uh, 1, he says to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. The way that reads, most likely Aphia is his wife, Philemon's wife, and most likely Archippus is his son. And so think about what is said here. Paul and Philemon are very close, very close, as they should be. They're brothers in Christ. He says to Philemon, our beloved, our beloved. And that word comes up a lot in in Scripture. We might be quickly reminded of when God spoke from heaven after the baptism of Jesus. And other times he would say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, this idea is in this word as well. This, is, this denotes a very close relationship between Paul and Philemon. Philemon is very wise to have a gospel teacher close to his family. He supports Paul's work in teaching and preaching, and Paul also very wise to stay close in contact with such a quality man of faith as Philemon. So they support each other. Philemon and Aphia uh, often open up their home uh, to Paul. Notice in verses uh, 22, look at verse 22, he asked, um, Paul asked Philemon at the same time, please prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. This shows us that Paul expects to be released from his imprisonment. Paul had two imprisonments. The one we read about in Acts 28. He's in his own hired house. Uh, But most who read the Bible see that as a temporary situation. Because Paul writing this from prison and he expects to be uh, released. But later, as um, conveyed to us from the book of 2 Timothy, Paul sees that his life uh, is coming to an end. And so that's another more dangerous, more dire uh, imprisonment. And so notice this beautiful family. It begins with Philemon and Athea, and then to the son, Archippus. And he's described as a fellow soldier. That is, he's involved in the same warfare. He's He's involved in the same fight as Timothy and as Paul and others. Okay. And you know the passages about being a soldier for Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1, verse 18, uh, Timothy was to war a good warfare. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 3, uh, Timothy was to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You remember Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 saying that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, they're not carnal, but rather it's an... um, It's a fight for the minds and hearts of people. We remember Paul outlining in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, the the different um, uh, elements of the Christian armor. Uh, 
putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and taking the sword of the Spirit, having your loins girt about with the truth and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and and uh, shield of faith, those types of things. And so Archippus here is involved uh, in this warfare. Looking back uh, quickly in your Bible to Colossians 4, Colossians 4, notice what is said of Archippus there. Colossians 4, uh, 17. Paul, in writing to the church at Colossae, he said, And say to Archippus, and this is one of the reasons we say that Philemon and his household were in Colossae. Colossians 4, 17. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. And so here is a family, Philemon, his wife, Athea, and their son, Archippus, who seem to be very dedicated and uh, very involved. And of course, Paul would be close to them in his work, if at all possible. And notice it says, the church that's meeting in their house. And this implies that most likely... Philemon has a place, a residence there, somehow or another where it's big enough for the church to come together and to uh, meet there. And this is said not only of Philemon, but I think it's also said of Aquila and Priscilla. If you'd like to check Romans uh, 15, not Romans 15, Romans 16, and look at verse um, 3 to 5, I believe it is said that Aquila and Priscilla had a church uh, meeting in their house as well. Yes. If you look at Romans 16.5, greet also the church in their house. Leading up to that was Paul's uh, commendation of a Priscilla and Aquila verses 3 through 5. Okay. Going back to Colossians uh, chapter 4, you'll notice that in the area of Laodicea, Greetings go to, uh, see I'm looking at Colossians 4 verse 15. Colossians 4 15. Give my greetings to the, to the brethren at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So it was common for the congregations to assemble at people's houses, places where they had uh, space enough to be able to assemble uh, for worship. So what a beautiful family. Philemon has a beautiful family. And they're given to hospitality and they're open for the church uh, to be in their house. Notice here, uh, before we leave the family aspect, their family, notice three things about the church. Notice that um, Philemon is called a fellow worker. A fellow worker. Notice that Archippus is called a fellow soldier. And notice that the church is meeting in their house. That gives us a good summary of what the church is all about. It's about work. It's about warfare. Being aggressive with the truth, but also being brave enough to defend the truth. And it's about worship. Worship. Isn't that about what the church is all about? Work, warfare, and worship. And so notice this beautiful family of Philemon. And then notice in verse 4 a beautiful prayer uh, or at least an indication of the kinds of prayers that Paul prays. A beautiful prayer at the beginning of verse 4. Paul said to him 
I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. You see why we say that Philemon has a beautiful life, a beautiful family? Paul thanks the Lord for him. Notice the different aspects of Paul's prayer here. In his prayers, he was appreciative to the Lord. He was thankful. He was thankful. This is how we get started in prayer. Do you ever have times where you just say to yourself, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like praying. The best way to get over that hump is to just think about your, your thank you list. Think about your, your blessing list. And just start down that blessing list. And before long, you'll be into a prayer uh, with God. And also you can do this. You can just tell the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm just not feeling even like talking to you tonight. And then before long, you're talking to him. And then you can get right into your uh, Thanksgiving list. It's a wonderful way to start a prayer is the Thanksgiving list. Actually, if we, if we face the music, we could pray all the time about the blessings of God, how grateful we can be to him. But in Paul's prayer, here you see how personal it is. Personal. Paul was not of the mindset that his wife was going to pray for him because he didn't have a wife. But he, didn't, he wasn't in the mindset that somebody else would take care of his spirituality. He says, I thank God. I thank God. And it's very personal for you, Philemon. I thank God for you. And notice here in verse 4, he says, I thank my God. I thank my God. Notice how personal Paul is. Paul feels very close to the one who delivered him from his sin. He feels very close to the one who sustains his life and blesses him. He feels very close to the one who is, who is in control of his future. It's, it's my God. And that's how, exactly how we ought to pray. We ought to look to the Lord. We ought to look up to heaven and say, My God, my Lord, here is what's on my mind. Here's what's on my heart. Look how personal this prayer is. But also, notice that Paul is, um, you might say he's perpetual. He says, I do this always. I thank my God always. Always. He's not pointing back to a prayer that he made two months ago, that he uttered two months ago. This is something he always does. This is, this is how Paul used his time. He used his time in teaching, traveling, preaching, and then when he had opportunity, he was praying. He was always praying. So it was a perpetual uh, prayer. And then it's focused on other people, of course. Paul's always focused on other people. He's looking for, for ways to thank the Lord for other people who are doing uh, good things. Good things. Now just notice this. Just think about what Paul says here in verse 4. And notice how helpful that is for us to create a great prayer life. Uh, in his sight. So that he has a beautiful prayer. A beautiful prayer. That's why I wanted us to focus on the idea of beautiful uh, this evening. Notice as we read, let's go ahead and read together verses 4 through 7. We'll see some more beautiful aspects. He says, verse 4, beginning, this is Philemon, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith... Stop right there. 
King James Version will have the communication of your faith, maybe. Or you might have in your translation the fellowship of your faith. But sharing, fellowship, communication carry basically the same idea. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts, or the bowels of the saints, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So, thirdly tonight, look at this. Look at his beautiful faith. Beautiful faith. Combine this with verse 1 where it says that, that Philemon is a fellow worker. So he has a faith that works. A faith that works. <clears throat> and we remember the Lord Jesus speaking of how important work was to him. For example, in John 9 verse 4, he said, We must work. Notice how he said we, not just him. He said, We must work the works of him that sent me. While it's day, how does the rest of that go? Yeah, the night's coming when no one can work. Exactly right. Jesus emphasized over and over the aspect of working. He has a faith that works. Faith that works. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.10 says, We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. That's why the Lord brings us to salvation is for good works. And so he has a faith that works. But as you said, as you saw just a minute ago, when we was talking about fellowship of the faith, sharing of the faith, communication of the faith, he has a faith that shares. A faith that shares. There are so many good verses that, that come, that good commentary on this. But I'd like for you to look with me to Hebrews 13 and notice how similar the statement is. Hebrews thirteen sixteen. Hebrews thirteen sixteen. The apostle says, "This is chapter thirteen, Hebrews, verse thirteen, thirteen sixteen. Hebrews thirteen sixteen. Do not neglect to do good," he says, "and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God." I just think that sums up. The idea of sharing your faith. Do not neglect to do good, but be sure to share what you have. We mentioned uh, Sunday, I think, in one of our comments, how that Jesus said, To whom much is given, much shall be required. Luke 12, 48. Do not neglect to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So he has a beautiful faith because he has a faith that works and a faith that shares and also, as you see here in your Bible, verse 7, Philemon has a faith that refreshes people, refreshes them. Instead of taking away of, from their life, he's a plus person, you might say. He's a plus person. He adds to people's life. So when people are around him, then they are encouraged. They're encouraged. It very much reminds us of the life of Barnabas in Scripture. Remember, it was Barnabas who finally took Saul of Tarsus. Hardly anybody would believe that he had actually been converted, but it was Barnabas, according to Acts 9 and 27, it was Barnabas that took Saul, took him to the elders, 
took him to the brethren and said, This man has truly been converted. He's preaching the Lord Jesus. He's confessing him as the Son of God. He is a great use to us. And that's the kind of man Barnabas was. That's the kind of man Philemon was. He refreshed. He refreshed people's spirits. So he has a faith that, that works, that shares, that refreshes. But I want you to see, before we leave his faith, I want you to see that he had a dual faith and a dual love. D-U-A-L. Dual. You see it here in our reading. He thanked, Paul thanked the Lord, verse 5, because I hear of your love and faith that you have, notice the dual nature of it, toward the Lord Jesus and toward the brethren, toward the saints. That is the nature of the love that we are to have in our lives. It's a dual love. One cannot exist without the other. Can you think of any verses that show that? Any of the verses come to your mind that shows that besides this, the dual nature of faith and love? Be thinking about that for a second. You know that it's important for us to believe in the Lord Jesus, but it's also important for us to believe in our brethren. Not to be suspicious of them, not to be doubtful for them, but to believe, but to believe in them. And to believe that they're going to do the best, that they're going to grow in uh, Christ, that they're going to put forth their best foot in all that Christ um, demands of them. We must believe that. That's part of our faith uh, in the Lord Jesus. Look back with me, uh, if you don't mind, to 2 Corinthians. uh, Did I say Corinthians? 2 Thessalonians. I turn my Bible to 2 Thessalonians and I said Corinthians. 2 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 3, and I'm looking down to verse 4. Verse 4. You're already there. Notice it. 2 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, and you're looking at verse 4. Paul says, And we have confidence. Notice Paul's word. He's talking to Christians. He says, And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. I think there's something similar said back in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse, beginning in verse 1, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, he says, Finally, then, brethren, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, as you have received from us how you ought to live and please God, just as you are doing, but that you also do more and more. Do more and more. That's the kind of confidence Paul had in brethren. And that goes right along with the faith in Christ. Think about the situation here in Paul sending Philemon sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Think about that. 1,200 miles between Rome and Colossae. And he's sending him back. And he is trusting that Onesimus is not going to run away. Onesimus can easily do this. If he's done it before, he can do it again. But Paul trusts that he will do it. He trusts that Philemon is going to do the right thing. He's going to show the compassion that's needed. 
And so this is just the nature of not only Paul, but it should be the nature of our faith in Christ. That if we have faith in Christ, we will have faith in brethren. Remember, who did Jesus leave the Great Commission with? Who did, who did he leave it with? He left it with, with us, with, with people, with, with uh, dirt and flesh. Um, so that's important to consider. Okay, and then love goes the same direction. There are a lot of passages about love going the direction of God and the brethren. Have you thought of any that you might bring up? Love. Yes, exactly. Christopher mentioning Matthew 22, where Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is likened to that. To love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, that's the nature of God and what he would expect of us from a, from a long time back. And that's repeated again and again and again uh, in the New Testament. Uh, one of my favorite is 1 Peter chapter 1. And you look at uh, verse 22. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, 1 Peter 1, 22, uh, for a sincere brotherly love unto a unfeigned love for your brethren. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Okay. So it's almost as if God expects us to be baptized into a love. Good question to ask is what were you baptized into? Being baptized into Christ. Okay, well, there's a lot in that statement. A lot into that statement. To be baptized into Christ is to be baptized automatically into a love for all that Christ loved. Into a love of the brethren. To be immersed into that. And First John mentions it uh, again and again and again and again. You know these uh, verses. 1 John 4, for example. Verse 20, 1 John 4, 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And, and he, for, who, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And you just go backward from there and look into 1 John 3, 1 John 2. And you'll see this connection all over the place. So, look at his beautiful faith. Now, what we want to do is to notice this beautiful persuasion of Paul to Philemon. The main ideal here in the book is for Philemon, as a brother in Christ, to receive Onesimus back. How is Paul going to accomplish this? What is going to be the basis of his appeal? We can learn a lot by watching Paul here. Okay. Because we also are in the business of persuasion. We persuade people. We encourage people. We, we want people to obey. We want people to come back. We want people to solve problems. We want people to, to draw closer, be more holy. We want, that's not just for people. That's for us first, but also an encouragement uh, to others. We need uh, Paul's example here. So looking down, 
to Philemon, let's just see some of the qualities, or let's just see how he bases his appeal. It begins here in verse 8. Okay. But what's he going to do? This is a, this is a, this is a uh, perplexing situation. Could be. Could be. Doesn't have to be. How's he going to handle this? Somebody has wronged Philemon. This somebody, Paul, is now sending back. Let's see what he says. Starting with verse 8, he appeals on the basis of love. See this from verse 8 and 9? Paul says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, verse 9, yet for love's sake, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an aged man, now a prisoner for Christ Jesus. For love's sake. For love's sake. Instead of being heavy-handed with his authority as an apostle, um, he says, I'm going to appeal to you, Philemon, on the basis of love. I know you have love, Philemon. I know you have love for God. I know you have love for the church. It's obvious what you're doing. Here is Onesimus. I'm appealing to you on the basis of what's already uh, in your heart. Okay. And Jesus hinted at this, you know, when, when um, he talked to his apostles about serving back in Matthew 20, 25 to 28. He said, um, you will not be, people in my kingdom will not be as the Gentiles do. They won't. They won't rule. You will not serve as a Gentile. The Gentiles love to lord it over. To lord it over, Jesus said in Matthew 20, 25, and 26. Okay. They love to be able to command people. They love to set rules. They love to give out guidelines and expect people to follow them. Jesus said, not in my kingdom. Not in my kingdom. We're going to be a kingdom that loves and that serves one another. Okay. Galatians 5, 13 says... Uh, through love, serve one another. Don't use your freedom for an occasion to the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So, he's going to appeal to Philemon on the basis of love. But notice also, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Okay, I have begotten him. I've become a father to him in my imprisonment. So he appeals on the basis of a spiritual relationship, okay, which is more important, and Philemon knows this, this spiritual relationship that now that Onesimus has is much more important than any other relationship that Philemon knows. So he's appealing to him. As we discussed, I think we touched on it last week, that when, he, when Paul says, I have begotten him, 1 Corinthians of. 4.15, Paul says, I beget people. I, I, people are begotten through the gospel, through my teaching of the gospel, through anyone's teaching of the gospel. Someone can come to know the new birth process, go through that, through the spirit and the water, and be baptized and, and be born again, born anew. That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, now Onesimus is, is on a different level. He is now a brother in the Lord. Notice his words here in verse mm, verse 16. He says, No longer as a slave. By Philemon 16. No longer as a slave, but much more than a slave, 
as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, Philemon, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Isn't that pretty? Isn't that just... That's how you write right there. That's, that's how you do it. He, he appeals to him on the basis of love and then on the basis of the spiritual relationship that now exists between Onesimus and Philemon. Okay. He also noticed verse 11. He appeals to Philemon on the basis of Onesimus, Onesimus now as a very useful servant. He, he admits, yes, he was useless, he was unprofitable, but now he is profitable. See that? And then, notice verse 12. Paul says, I'm sending him back to you, and I'm sending my very heart. Okay. He appeals to Philemon based on the basis of his own personal involvement. I am personally involved in this. That's the way Paul did things. That's the way the Lord did things. Paul was not distant. He just didn't throw out teachings and and said, well, there's the teaching. I hope somebody takes it in. Paul Paul was personally involved. He sat down with Onesimus. He worked with him. He taught him. He he counseled him. He encouraged him. Now his heart is in this. And that's what he's trying to tell Philemon. Philemon knows Paul very well. And when Paul says, I'm sending him back and it's like me sending my heart to you, then you better, you need to take notice of this. Now I know exactly what it means and so do you. Okay. When your little girl is backing out the driveway, headed to college, there goes your heart. Know what I mean, Miss Jan? There goes your heart. Okay. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I'm not just sending you a, a former servant. This is my heart coming to you. Please, please take close notice of this. Look how important this is to me, Philemon. Notice Paul's words. Where is it at? Yeah, verse 17, verse 17, he says, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Now that, that should have done it for Philemon right there. Receive him. If you reject this, if you reject Onesimus, it's the same as rejecting me. Paul was bought in. Paul was involved tenderly in Onesimus coming back and being a, being a faithful servant, faithful Christian. By the way, when you think about Onesimus becoming a Christian, he was now a babe in Christ. So Philemon would, would understand that. When Paul said, I have begotten him, he's a, he's a new Christian. Okay. So with, with babes, they need tender guidance, they need nourishment, as new Christians, and Paul is appealing to that uh, as well. And then notice he, in verse 14, he says, I prefer to do nothing without your consent, Philemon, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your free will. He appeals on the basis of 
Philemon's own free will. In other words, he's saying, Philemon, I don't want to compel you to do this. You are mature in Christ. You know that your faith is your faith. You make your own decisions in Christ. You know that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Free will is something that is clearly taught in Scripture, by the way. And Paul is appealing to that. Appealing to that. He has confidence that Philemon is intelligent enough to see his point, but also spiritual enough to be motivated by love. Please consider that. That's, that's a great summary of how we approach Christian living. To be intelligent enough to see the point of Scripture, but to be spiritual enough to be moved by the love of Christ. Paul has confidence that Philemon is at this level. And he appeals to his free, his free will here. And you know right here in verse 15, he appeals to the providence of God. He said, perhaps, perhaps. That's how you have to talk about providence. Because we can't just be all kinds of sure. God is way too high, wonderful, mysterious for us to just know exactly what he's doing all the time. But we also know that he works behind the scenes. Paul knows this. Paul says, Perhaps Onesimus was parted from us, from you, for a season, for a while, so that you might receive him back forever. I'm telling you, you can't write any better than this. It could be, Philemon, that God had had a hand in how how Onesimus is now being converted and brought back to you. We cannot deny that. So to deny the Onesimus, maybe you may be denying the very will and working of God himself. Now it's not that God orchestrated the fact that, that Onesimus fled and did wrong to Philemon. God didn't cause that. Okay. All the ugliness that went along with, with uh, Onesimus leaving Philemon, it's not that God caused that, but God is really good at taking our decisions and our doings and working out a way for us or others to be introduced to the gospel of the Lord. That may be what happened here. So how could I stand in the way? How could I put myself in the place of God? That's what Paul is saying to Philemon. How, how could we stand in the way? This, this is likely the work of God. How could we possibly stand in the way? Look how he appeals uh, to providence. And, of course, he appeals to heaven itself here because he says, you may be receiving him back forever. Forever. Don't you love that term, forever? Don't you get tired of good things being taken away? Don't you get tired of saying goodbye? The place in heaven, in heaven, we won't have to say goodbye. It's forever. Forever. And it clearly implies that we will know each other in heaven. Or this statement doesn't make any sense. Of course we'll know each other in heaven. Okay. You may, in receiving Onesimus and helping him to grow in Christ, Philemon, and both of you then will be able to enjoy the eternal tabernacles together. So Paul has several, this is how you do it. You want to know how to persuade, basis of love, 
basis of spiritual uh, relationship, the basis of the fact that everybody has something they can do for the Lord, they can be useful to the Lord, uh, on the basis of putting your heart. Now, persuasion will make no sense to anyone who's not willing to put their heart into things. But when people see that your heart is into it, then they're going to be, they're going to say, I need to, this guy is, he's serious about this. He's serious about it. We can't be distant in trying to be a Christian. And he appeals on the basis of his free will. He appeals on the basis of the providence of God. Uh, he appeals on the basis of heaven itself. And Paul's not through. Paul's not through. If you look on down um, to um, verse 17, he says, If you'll consider me as your partner, receive him as you receive me. If he has wronged you, verse 18... He has wronged you at all or owes you anything, you can charge that to my account. See how Paul is just kind of clearing away all the obstacles that might be in Philemon's mind because the spiritual togetherness here is more important than anything. Anything. Okay. He hasn't, if he doesn't have the wherewithal to pay you back, then I'll take care of that. We just need to get you two guys together in the Lord. So notice his beautiful... Uh, appeal is beautiful persuasion. This is a, an area where uh, things could go badly. It does happen between brethren. Uh, but Paul is working hard to see that that doesn't happen. Notice his emphasis on Christ. Notice he mentions Christ in verse 1. He mentions Christ in verse 3. He mentions Christ in verse 5. And again in verse 6, for the sake of Christ. Again, verse 8, I'm bold enough in Christ. Again, verse 9, I'm a prisoner uh, for Christ. Okay. Notice again in verse uh, 16, he says, both in the flesh and in uh, the Lord. Notice again in verse 20, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Notice verse 23, Epiphras, my fellow prisoner, in Christ sends greetings to you. Paul is bringing out the fact by implication that Christ is the answer to every problem, every situation, every relationship. Anything that we're facing, go back to Christ. He is the one. He's the one. Okay. So, wanted to give a further completion of the study of, of Philemon. It's a wonderful book. We've not even really touched all that is in this book. But the main ideal, I guess the main word here is the word receive. Receive. It reminds me of the Lord's reception of uh, the prodigal son. The father's reception of the prodigal son. And how the older brother would not receive him coming home. But here, Paul is confident that Philemon will. There is an overtone here of uh, repentance. Onesimus has now become a Christian. Uh, he is turning from his old life. But involved in that is a restitution If doing your very best to restore whatever, you, whatever it is you may have done wrong, 
in the past. Why Paul mentions that, you know, if you're lacking anything, I'll repay that. We'll make sure that gets repaid. Uh, but mainly, Onesimus has a responsibility before Philemon, uh, with Philemon. And Paul said, you know, I'd like to keep him here. He's very useful to, to me. Right here in Rome, he's helping me a lot. Uh, but he needs to go back to you. Jesus, uh, it wasn't Jesus, was it? John the Baptist once said, bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. There's got to be there's got to be action. We, we just can't say we repent. We must, we must show from our lives, from our lives, uh, fruits of repentance. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, you kind of left out verse 19, though. Nah. you got to love Paul's boldness. Yeah, go ahead. After the other things he mentions, he says, <laughs> not to mention to you, only even your own self-sides, but he mentions it. Yeah. Yeah, verse 19, and the reason I didn't get into that because I would want to talk about 15 minutes about that. Uh, but that clearly indicates that Philemon owes Paul probably for his spiritual relationship. And so that sort of seals it up right there, doesn't it? Yeah. By the way, Philemon, you know you're in debt to me. I'm not going to mention that. That's the beautiful thing about this letter is... Paul could say a lot more than what he's saying, but he is leaving it in the lap of Philemon because he's trusting that Philemon in his own free will will do the right, right thing. But you're right. Um, it's almost as if to say, you know, I could say more, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to mention what I'm not going to mention. That's a good way. Good way. Yeah, he had to really choose his words. 